Great to be here with you this morning. Uh, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus, part of our online community, or Hopewell campus, it, it's great to be here. It, it's hard to believe this is the second Sunday in August. Uh, this summer seems to have just been flying by. Anyone else feel like the summer is just flying by? Uh, also, our, our summer series, obviously, then is flying by. And, and we, uh, last spring, asked our small groups uh, what type of uh, questions they may have that we could address during our summer series. And, of course, if you've been here through the summer, you know each week we've been tackling one of those questions. And I'm a little hesitant to say this because it's not that the other questions weren't good questions, but I was really excited about this question, this question of, of, of community impact. Uh, the question was, you know, uh, the, the church's call to community impact or how believers are called to serve as a church in our community. And, and we're going to look at this maybe a little different than we typically do on a weekend. We're going to do an overview study, if you will, uh, of the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. I believe looking at the Ephesian church through Paul's letter to them really gives us an amazing picture of two things. The purpose of God's church, and by the way, let's, let's review a little bit. Who is God's church? We are. If you're a believer, you're the church. The church isn't necessarily a building, although sometimes in Scripture it's used to speak of a building, but most often it's talking about the assembly, which is you and I as believers and so if the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians really brings us into an understanding of, of why the church exists. And, and from that existence, what does it mean for that church to make community impact? What does it mean for us to make a community impact in the way that God intended it? We know a bunch about the church in Ephesus because of Paul's letter to Ephesians. Also, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, who pastored the church in Ephesians. And there's an unfortunate statement in the book of Revelation where we find that the, F, the church there in Ephesus had lost its way, that they were at one point focused. They were living with purpose. And, and somehow during their journey, they began to stray away and they had lost their passion. They had lost their reason for existence. And I think that's a warning for all of us. I don't know what your spiritual journey has been like, but there's been times where I've been sort of somewhat laser focused, at least laser focused-ish. <laughs> in my walk with God, and other times where I've taken my focus off of him and have strayed a little bit. Maybe you've been there. And so for us as a church, as we're looking at this, this teaching, if you will, uh, from the book of Ephesians, it's to help us make sure we're in focus with what God intends for us to be. And so to, to sort of jump us off into the study of Ephesians, I want to talk a little bit about Ephesus itself, the city. The name uh, Ephesus means city of the mother goddess. And, and it got its name through mythology. They believed that their city was founded by a group of warrior women who were empowered by the goddess uh, Artemis, or also known as Diana. And so this Ephesians means city of the mother goddess. It, its ruins are located about six miles in western Turkey near the Aegean Sea. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was in Ephesus. Ephesus was was a, a, a city with a lot of tourism because it had an amazing temple to the false god Artemis. Again, also Diana. People from all over the known world went there just to see the temple itself. They had an outdoor theater that helped hosted gladiators. They had a sophisticated aqueduct system. And they also had a famous library in the ancient world, the Library of Seleucus, that people would come all over to, to see and to study. When Paul arrived at the city, Ephesus was the capital pro of, of Asia for the Roman Empire and had nearly half a million people. 
Now, for us, that doesn't necessarily seem like a large city, but in Paul's day, it was an extremely large city, 500,000 people in the city of Ephesus. Now, Paul's tenure in Ephesus was marked by a little bit of a dispute with the artisans. The silversmiths, especially, in Ephesus, made a living by making trinkets to the goddess Artemis, or Diana. And people would come, and it would be a tourist thing. They would buy these, these images of the god or some other trinkets in order to say, hey, I was here, or I worshiped at the temple. But something happened when Paul arrived. He preached the gospel, and people came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so one of the artisans said, look, if he continues to do this, he's going to ruin our business. And he was absolutely correct. Because as people were coming to Christ, guess who they stopped worshiping? Artemis. The tourist industry was going downhill for them. And so they, they caused a lot of ruckus and actually tried to, to kill Paul. So Ephesus was not a friendly place to the gospel at all. But Paul stayed the course, and the church was established in this city, established through this really this origins of gospel community impact. Paul wrote the book of Ephesus, uh, book of Ephesians, around 62 AD. It was the end of his, toward the end of his life. And the book's overall theme, catch this, is that Christians are all members of Jesus' body the church. That's that's going to be crucial that we understand that when we look at the reason the church exists and how that church that exists is supposed to impact the community. That we're all part of Christ's body. As a matter of fact, one of the the statements that describes the church in Scripture is family. If you're in Christ, you don't just belong to God, you belong to his church, which means you belong to one another. You may have heard me say this before. If you're a believer sitting here this morning or watching online or at the Hopewell campus, like it or not, I'm your brother. I'm your brother. Deal with it. When you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to that too. And and so that's really foundational in the book of Ephesians. A key verse in Ephesians is found in uh, chapter 2, verse 22. In him, speaking of Jesus, in Jesus you also are being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We understand God doesn't live in a building. He resides with his people. His Spirit exists within followers of Christ. And and wherever God's church is, his His spirit works in in an amazing way when that church is focused on Jesus. So with this understanding of Ephesus, the city, and the book of Ephesians, let's let's jump in. Let's jump in. The first truth I want to highlight is this. The church is called out for a specific purpose. The church is called out for a specific purpose. Paul answers the question, what is the church, what is the church that God has established? What is God's intent for her? Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have the redemption through his blood, and for forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, catch this, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So he did all this work to do what? To unite all things in him. Now, that's a lengthy passage. we got a few of them here because, again, we're doing an overview in the book of Ephesians. But what is Paul saying? Well, he's saying that the church has been called out of the world by God. 
We've been set apart for a purpose. We've been called for a specific mission. And Paul writes about that mission. The mission is this, is to personify the transformed life found in Jesus. To live as a reconciled community who invites others to be reconciled with God and to one another. Now in our culture, there's a lot of talk about reconciliation. And yet, I I just want to be honest with you, much of the talk on reconciliation is not biblically driven. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But Paul makes it really clear, in order to truly be reconciled to one another, we must first be reconciled to God. That as we're reconciled to God, he gives us the power to truly be reconciled to one another. Again, we'll dig deeper in just a moment into that. But I like what David Augsburger insightfully writes about the church in this point. He says, the church is an alternate community, an alternate to human communities that live in coercion, competition, and collective self-interest. It seeks to be a community of disciples who obey the particular way of God that are revealed in Jesus. It models neighbor love, transformative, redemptive justice, the inclusion of the stranger, servanthood to each and every one of us and beyond, creative love, forgiveness, and reconciliation, and the humility to recognize and confess its own need for repentance and forgiveness. Now, that's quite a picture of the church, isn't it? So some will say, well, not every church looks like that, and there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, uh, the church is filled with imperfect people. Imperfect like me, and by the way, imperfect like the person sitting next to you, right? It's filled with imperfect people, and, and so we're being perfected, and so that's part of it. The other part of it is just because someone says yes to Jesus doesn't mean they're following in the footsteps of the Spirit. That we as God's church are called to, to know and apply his word, to keep in step with the Spirit, which literally the word picture there is to follow in the steps, sort of like if you're following someone's snow into their steps, one step at a time, or since it's summer to sand, one step at a time, following after the Spirit. And there are all too many believers who said yes to Jesus, but really aren't following after Jesus. But when the church is living the way God's called it to live, that's the picture of the church. The church exists to give the world around us really a glimpse of God's right-side-up kingdom. Here a person finds forgiveness and, and belonging, value, love, and the very affirmation of God. I, I think about a place setting. You know, I'm talking, you know, like your dishes, your bowls, your maybe your silverware, your, your, your glasses, you know, a, a place setting. The church is a collection of earthen vessels, Paul says. There's something interesting about us earthen vessels. Paul's very clear to say that we have cracks. In other words, we're not, we're not perfect. But somehow, through our weakness, God shows his glory. And as earthen vessels, we're called out for a special and a very specific purpose. Place settings serve a specific purpose. The church is called out for a specific purpose. What? To exemplify the transformed life we have in Christ. It's this growing and knowing God and, and becoming more and more like Jesus and his love and his character, his purpose, his priorities. The second truth I want to highlight is that the church is called together for something specific. Paul answers the question, what is the church like? Ephesians 2, 14 through 22. For he himself, Jesus, for Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh a dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, catch this, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. But on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Think about that. That's an amazing picture of the church, isn't it? We're all, remember, God doesn't exist in a building, but we have this building image that we are the temple. Like we as individuals are a temple of the Holy Spirit, but together we make up sort of this temple of God. Many believers still today, they come to Christ and they look at their spiritual journey as just an individual journey. But it's not intended to be that. It's an individual journey, but an individual journey done with other individuals. We need each other. That's the church. God's brought us together. He's made us a new community of reconciliation and social healing. We're we're no longer mere individuals, but this community belonging to God, embodying his concerns. It's a place where people should be able to see this. And and, and no matter what their background is, no no matter where they come from, no matter what they've done, the church has to be a place where they can come and be reconciled to God and one another. Paul says something really interesting here. He says, you're no longer two peoples, but you become one. Now, what what is he referring to? Well, in the Jewish mindset, there were only two types of people on planet Earth, Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles. And and Paul writes that because of what Jesus has done, that's no longer true. Most of the believers in Ephesus were Gentiles. And so he said, look, you're not outsiders. You're part of the family. We're one family. Paul will also write in the book of Romans, he writes that, that there are, when God looks at the world, he sees only two types of people. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. Paul writes it as they're in Adam. So there are those who are in Christ and those who have yet to make a decision to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the only, only division mentioned in Scripture. Uh, what's that mean? Well, let's go back to our word reconciliation and the way our culture may look at it, but the way the Bible teaches it. The Bible shares that there's only one race. You know, you go and you fill out a form and it says, what race are you? I always wish there was a blank where I could just put human. Because honestly, biblically, there's only one race. We all come from two original parents, Adam and Eve. You say, well, there are differences. Well, yeah, there are differences in my family. Me, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, we're different. As a matter of fact, uh, when you look at Scripture, it doesn't talk about the difference in races. It uses the word ethnos. It's the word we get our word ethnicity. And there's different ethnicities in the world, certainly, right? There's different cultures. There's, there's different hair color, eye color, skin color. But that doesn't make us different races. It, it just it makes us different in our ethnos, in, in some of our preferences, or, 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 or maybe some of our appearances, And so that's why, if you go back to point number one, when we're reconciled to God, we're reconciled to one another because we're really not as different as as we may think first think we were. We all need Jesus. We're all his children when we come to know him as Lord and Savior. That's where unity comes from. And so this is what Paul is writing here, is, is talking about the church being a revolutionary group of disciples who hold intention, this compassionate concern for justice, 
with an evangelistic zeal for people to encounter Christ. And the church can really lose its way when it, when it defines reconciliation the way the culture does versus what the scriptures do. And when it defines community impact the way that maybe others may define it versus the way that scriptures do. But the good news is we're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. And for reconciliation to happen across cultural boundaries, it has to begin with us coming to the Lord, him empowering us to see each other as brothers and sisters. Back to our place setting illustration. A place setting is used for a specific purpose, and the church is called for a specific purpose. There are times where I have taken a bowl out of our kitchen, out into the garage, and used it to hold screws or nails. Has anyone else ever done that? My wife hates it when I do that. She, she, first of all, expects that I won't do that, but I do do that. But the second expectation is if I do do that, that I take it in and, and wash it before I put it back in the cupboard. Because the original purpose was what? To place food in it. And no one wants to eat after you. Follow me? Come on. All right. And, and, and so, you know, you can use things outside their purpose, but, there, but there's an intended purpose for a bowl. There's an intended purpose for a plate. Catch this. There's an intended purpose for the church. It doesn't mean that people won't use the church to do other things, even things that maybe God isn't saying that we should do. But there's a purpose, and we should be on purpose with God. That's what he's called us to do. God uses us earthen vessels to fulfill a specific purpose of providing a glimpse of God's kingdom here on earth, to be a community filled with his love, sharing his love with others. The third third truth I want to highlight is this. The church is called for something specific. Paul really answers the question, how is the church to function? Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been been made brought near by the blood of Christ. Jump up to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, and by the way, I love that, that statement. God is rich in what? Mercy. Because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that he's done all this redemptive work, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That we would understand his kindness, not just in this chapter in which we're living right now, but in the next chapter where we spend eternity with him. The church is to function by being in relationship with Christ, allowing God to be at the heart of our community and call together. We're to function with the understanding that there's really no other reason. Catch this this morning. There's no other reason that he calls us to be the church except to be friends of his, friends of God, and to call others to do the same. I love the way Gary Nelson creatively describes this. He says, word and deed, gathered and scattered, the church is imagined as a gathering of disciples living distinct and specific and for a specific purpose. See, it's extremely important that we get our image of the church from the scriptures. That the question, what do you think the church should be? Horrible question. The right question is, what does the Bible say the church ought to be? And we live on purpose with what the scriptures say. What is God's intent? Well, it's to be a transformational example to the world around us. To let them know what it means to be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another, to be one. In fact, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, he's praying, he says, he's praying, he says, they'll know why I came for their love, because of their love for each other. Think about that. That one of the witnessing tools, if you will, one of the explanations of Jesus' reason for coming 
would somehow be exemplified in one believer's love for another. Powerful, powerful, powerful. The place setting again. The church is to be what? Salt and light, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. We're to know God and make him known. We're to be like a cup of fresh water, nourishing those around us. Again, the church hasn't always been seen like that, but that doesn't give us a reason not to be that church today. Right, church? To be the people of God, to be able to show the people around us what real life is like, that joy-filled life that can only come from Christ. And then fourth and last truth I want to highlight is this. The church is called to something specific. And answers the question, what is the real essence of the church? We've looked at why it exists, but what is the essence? John 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, they have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Jump down, uh, to, or jump over to chapter four, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all obtain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the maturehood of manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Camp there for a minute. Don't overlook that. He's saying that we would gather together so that we can help each other understand God's word so that the culture around us doesn't squeeze us into its mold, but that we are used as a change agent to the culture around us. That is the picture of the church. And when the church allows itself to mimic the culture, it ceases to have the power to be what God has called it to be. We are to go into the world and share the light and truth of God with those around us. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped when we are, part, when we are each doing our part properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All that to say, the church exists to be on mission. We're to be on the move. We're, we're to be representations of, of God here on earth. And, and the body of Christ is to continue the incarnational ministry of Jesus. What's that mean? We continue the ministry Jesus started. And Jesus came for the purpose to seek and save the... Want to get to lunch? Help me out here. Seek and save the... Thank you. Chris got to the award. Seek and save the lost. That's our call. That's what we're to be about doing. We're filled with the Spirit of God, his, his peace and his power, so we can be transforming agents in the world and in our community. The late Stan Grants captured the image of God's church quite well when he wrote this. The church is not an end in itself. God does not call us out of the world to become a cozy little clique or a holy huddle. Rather, the church exists to serve as a larger intention. The Spirit forms us into a people through whom he can bring about the completion of God's work in the world. This suggests that we must be a future-oriented people. Our task is directed toward a grand goal that will come into its fullness only at the end of the age. To understand this, we must introduce the biblical drama of God at work establishing the kingdom or reign. Indeed, the church initially emerged with the context of Jesus' announcement, the kingdom of heaven is near. And the kingdom of heaven has come in Jesus Christ and will come in its fullness 
when he returns. We, the church, participate in the reign of God through beating the rhythm of, of being a community that displays the life of those who have been forgiven and who are forgiving of others. Uh, the transformational nature of God is to be on display to his church. That's why I say on weekends when we gather like this, we're here to put the glory of God on display. The purpose, to worship him. We're to be the church in word and deed. Words aren't enough, but deeds aren't enough either. Words and deeds are necessary for a true witness. We authenticate the incarnational living of the gospel, living like Jesus through what we say and what we do. Back to the place setting illustration. A place setting is really of no service unless you use it. When my wife and I got married, it was very common on your registry to put China. Some of you remember those days. Many don't do that anymore. And you know why? Because we don't use our China. Like I can't tell you the last time we used our China. Maybe you use it a lot, we do not. I don't even know where it is. I know we still have it. And I know it's not worth a whole lot anymore. Uh, because no one wants to buy China. So it is pretty and useless in my mind. My wife's on, not here today, so I can say that. It's pretty and useless. Uh, it, it really is. Our stoneware we use all the time. Our common dishes we use constantly. You know, and they're pretty. They look, they look good enough. They, they work. And, and, and so the reality of it is God isn't calling the church just to look pretty. You hear what I said? God isn't calling the church just to look Pretty. He wants us to be useful. And as cracked pots, earthen vessels, he has the power to use us to make a difference in the lives of others. You say, Craig, I don't feel like I'm that far along the road to, for God to use me. God isn't limited by where you are on the journey. He's only limited by how you will, he, you will allow him to use you on the journey. So that's the difference maker right there. God, I don't know what I have, but whatever it is, it's yours. And the God who spoke the world into existence, I just have to believe, can use all of us. What do you think? We sang a song, but God, God wins all the time, right? So when we give ourselves to him, we join that team of the all-powerful God using our strengths and, yes, even our weaknesses to bring him glory. Gary Nelson passionately explains, he says, the church displays the first fruits of the forgiven, forgiving people. It, of God, who, who brought across this rubbing, uh, rubble of dividing walls that have crumbled under the weight of the cross. This, this the rubble of dividing walls. That all those things that used to divide us, because of God's love and the cross, hey, he's demolished those things. Nothing separates us who are in Christ Jesus. Is that not what the world needs? Is that not where real peace comes from? Not just as a culture, but in every relationship, in our marriages, in our parenting. When Christ is Lord, his peace will reign. When we're focused on him living out of our existence, the church is an ambassador of peace and love and truth in a world who desperately needs it. We as Crosswinds partner with local, community, regional, and global ministry efforts. Our mission partners are important to us. They're places we encourage Crosswinds people to serve and give. We as Crosswinds have ministry to kids and teens and adults to to reach them with the love of message of Jesus Christ so they'll have repeated opportunity to believe. We raise believers in the knowledge that they belong to God and yes, his church. Remember, I'm your brother, like it or not. And, and, and we raise them in knowing that, that they truly can become the person they've created to be in Christ Jesus. As we release them, catch this, as we release them to bless others, 
the blessings God has given you. God blesses us to bless others. He works in our life to be an example to others. Every believer who's a part of Crosswinds is an everyday missionary in an everyday world. Community impact begins with you and me. Begins with you and me. That we're the answer, that when we see a need and we have the ability to meet it, we meet it. We can't do everything, but we should do the something we can do to make a difference in the world around us. Crosswinds is a mission-sending church. It's a, it's, it's a we know we're the answer church. Not, not that we're God, but we're God's representative, and we pray and we obey, and we represent Christ wherever he places us. In other words, you don't need permission to be the church. Like, like, like if there's someone who needs loved at your workplace, you don't need to call here and say, hey, should I love them? You don't need to start a new Crosswinds ministry of love, by the way. Just love them. Your neighbor has a need and you can meet the need. You don't have to need to call here and say, do you think I should help meet that need? Don't need a call. Just meet the need. Come on now. Come on. Want to get to lunch, don't you? You're the church. I'm the church. Let the Spirit of God unleash the church to love, to meet needs, to speak the truth in love to the world around us. It all reminds me of a Costner flick. Yeah, Kevin Costner. Some of you know him. Many of you probably do not. He was in a movie called The Guardian where he played a petty officer in the U.S. Coast Guard. He was a, a search and rescue diver. And he finds himself back at the school where he had learned his craft and he's teaching them how to do this search and rescue that he's become very proficient in. And something happens in the midst of the movie, not worth getting into, but, but it changes the relationship between him and his students. And they're toward the end of their training. And he stands with his back to them. And he says, if I were drowning, would you come save me? And his students very enthusiastically reply, yes, petty officer, if you were drowning, we'd come save you. He says, if I were lost, would you come find me? And, and again, very confidently, they say, yes, petty officer, if you were lost, I would come find you. There's this dramatic pause, as you can imagine. He turns around, he looks at him. He says, I believe you would. I believe you would. There's a question that haunts me a bit, haunts me a bit. Will our love for God drive us into a world where people are lost and drowning? Will we live according to the purpose that God has set out for the church? I would love for God to say, I believe you would. In fact, when this chapter of my life is done, and it will be someday, and I head into the next chapter, this eternal chapter in the presence of Christ, the very first words I'd love to hear from him is, you know what, Craig? Well, well done, good and faithful servant. Thanks for being the church. Thanks for loving me and loving others. Let's enjoy each other for the rest of eternity. We are the church, called out for a purpose, called together for a plan, called for loving God and others, called to be God's redemptive agent in the world today. We must allow our love for God drive us into the world where people are lost and drowning, to the community outside our walls. We're called to know God and make him known. Not necessarily start new ministries, but to accept the responsibility of being everyday missionaries. 
released. Believing that we gather in our large gatherings, our small groups, our one-on-one, we gather so that we can scatter and make a difference in the places where we find ourselves day in and day out. And if you're here or online or at the Hopewell campus, if you have to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, why not this morning? That's the first step. Be reconciled to God. Receive Christ. And for each and every one of us who have done that, what's your next step in this journey? Not your next three, just your next step. Are you willing to take it? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your profound love, your profound love for each and every one of us that you displayed on the cross. You died for our sins, resurrected for our salvation. You ascended to the Father. You're preparing a place for us. You intercede on our behalf to God the Father, and you promise to come back and take us home. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells each and every one of us who know you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, God, if there's anyone who's yet to do that, but even now they would say that, Lord, come into my life. I receive you as Lord and Savior. I want to grow in that relationship with you. And God, for those of us who have already experienced that, may we walk in your grace. May we, may we exemplify your love and your truth. Would you not use us to be transformational agents in our culture? Thank you for blessing our gathering, but God, bless us as we scatter. May we believe that you have the power to use us to make a difference in the lives of people in our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, schools, throughout our community region, yeah, even to the ends of the world. God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're going to continue to do. May we continue to be focused as a church, existing for the purpose that you've laid out for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.